So much in the news, so much we need to think about, so much we need to feel our way through. We have had so many sad moments dealing with the idea of children being separated, separated from their family, separated from the only people they know, separated into a place where people don't even speak the same language. So we're talking today with Richard Viasana, and he is the person who created Forever Homes for FosterKids.org. And we're going to have a big talk about immigrant children, so you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the program. Today, as I said in the warm-up, this is a big, big, important topic. Not only is it ever-present in the news, we don't want it to fade from the news. We need to stay on this because it's about humans and being kind to one another and being thoughtful about one another and taking care of one another and being concerned. So welcome to the program, Richard. Well, thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, there's so much emotion behind this. And I know that that's part of what's, you know, engulfing me here is today my guest, as I haven't properly introduced, is so much emotion around this topic. I want to introduce you to my guest today. I'm so excited to talk with him. His name is Richard Viasana, and he is the fabulous creator of something so heartwarming. It's called Forever Homes for Fosterkids.org. Big topic, as I said in the intro. We need to think about this because we need to feel our way through it as well as think our way through it. So welcome to the program, Richard. Thank you so very much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this interview. Um, We certainly want to keep this front and center because these children cannot be forgotten. What's happened cannot be forgotten, and it must be fixed. So tell us what it is that is driving you to stay so focused on finding forever homes for foster kids. Well, Well, let me start off with a quick story. This will really encapsulate what happens to a foster child. So Veronica was 15 years old. She was living with her father and she was doing the usual things teenagers do, thinking of the weekend, spending time with her friends, junior year, her whole life changed. Her father got sent to prison and she got placed into foster care. Now, once a child goes into foster care, agencies jump into action and they try to find relatives because the idea is not for them to stay in foster care for years. So, If they can find a few relatives, hopefully many, someone will put their hand up, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, and say, I will take that child in. So they did the search. Unfortunately, the only relative they could find was an uncle, and he had died three years ago. So as far as the agency knew, in the U.S., Veronica had no other relatives that they could 
reach out to and try to get Veronica to be placed with. Now, at 15 years old, she was going to spend the next three years of her life in foster care until she turned 18. Now, here's what happens on their birthday. They don't get a birthday cake. What they get is a garbage bag so they can put their clothes into. They get dropped off at a particular location, and that's it. They may have dollars in their pocket. They may not. Then at that point, the vast majority of these teenagers who get dropped off, they become homeless immediately, many of them. Or they're couch surfing. Or they turn to crime, prostitution, anything to get money for food and shelter. And the worst thing is that the sex trafficking people know where these spots are. So within six hours, many foster teens are picked up and brought into the system of sex trafficking. So it's a horrific future that Brock is facing in three years, unless something can change. And at 15 years old, the chance of her getting adopted is less than 1%. And the foster kids know this. They know that they're pretty much locked into the system until they turn 18, or in some states it's 21. So for Veronica, her only hope was that her mother was still alive, but her mother had moved from the U.S. and moved to Mexico. The agency was desperate. So I came to my organization, asked us for help, because that's what we specialize in. We specialize in finding not only relatives in the U.S., but finding relatives where they live in Latin America, Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean, South America. That's what we specialize in. We're the only charity in North America that specializes in this area. Three weeks later, we found the mother. And the mother led us to two aunts living in Houston. And so that's where Veronica is now. She's back in high school. She's back on track. She's with her two aunts who are caring for her, keeping her safe, and giving her the love that she deserves. That's the work that our nonprofit does. And that's what makes you wake up in the morning ready to go. It is so easy to wake up. I mean, it's when I get asked that question, I'm thinking, ask me something different because this is not, you know, a hard decision. When I think about there are 400,000 Veronicas in foster care right now. Yeah. All of them desperate for a family member or to be with someone. Yes, someone with the same last name, someone with the same eyes, someone with the same skin color, someone with the same background, maybe somebody who knows your family history. All the things that we take for granted as people who grow up in our families, all they want is that connectivity to their past, to their history, to their culture, whatever it is. And I can certainly see that. And I want everyone to know that I'm talking with Richard Viasana, and I want to read you a bit about him. He's the founder of Forever Homes for Foster Kids. He's a leading authority internationally on immigration issues and foster families. You can hear the passion in him. He's a proud Navy veteran. He's been featured on CNN International, Univision, AP News, ABC TV, Costco Connections, and the Washington Post. He's a columnist with Foster Focus Magazine and an international speaker. He's been doing this work for 25 years, and you can certainly feel and sense the passion that he has for this. 25 years still gets him up in the morning ready to help kids. That's great, Richard. So, you know, when I think about this issue um, and the idea that some children might never be able to see their parents again, 
From my point of view, you know, I'm trained as a psychologist. So when I watch this, when I see the faces, when I see the photographs, I am looking at forever damage potential. That to be able to have secure relationships, to not have anxious relationships for the rest of their lives is a big undertaking for these children who have been separated. Whether they're separated at a very early age, in the early stage of brain development, they're separated in the middle when they're getting parietal and prefrontal lobe development, or they're getting later like Veronica in your story, they take in the information differently. But one thing for sure that sense of abandonment is underlying. And that can be so damaging and so destructive. And there has to be a better way. So is there a way to make sure that this doesn't happen, particularly looking right now at our border issues? If I had a great answer for that, I would probably be doing something else at a higher level in politics. Yeah, it's very complicated at the border. But one of the um, definitely um, decisions that could have been enacted better is not separating the children. And here's why. There's this idea that our government is really sharp, that we have really taught people doing the job. We're certainly thinking that they're educated and prepared for that job. But here's the problem. In this country, we have a tendency to speak and know one culture. So we're not really good at embracing other cultures and speaking other languages. Only about 10% of the people in the country speak other languages. So with that knowledge, when all these people are coming up from Central America to the border, there's two things that are going on. And you mentioned you know, trauma just a moment ago. So let me put this in to perspective. You've got people who are leaving an area where they could have been uh, uh, attacked by criminals. They could have been attacked by the police. The police are not known for being their friend. Not like in the U.S. It's completely different. Down there, the police could be the people abusing them. Mm-hmm. So they have a great fear of anyone in uniform. So they've crossed all this time to get to the U.S., a place that they feel, well, they'll be safe. And again, I'm going to leave the politics out of this, whether someone feels this is right or wrong. We'll just talk about what is happening here. They get to the border, they're with their children, and they're faced with what? People in uniform. People with guns. People who remind them of the people who are oppressing them back in their own country where they got oppressed regularly. So there's this image of this force that's in front of them. So it's intimidating. It's scary at the beginning. Now they've got to go talk to these people. They realize that their life is on the line if they don't say the right thing, if they're not nice to this person, which means not talking back, not correcting them, not letting them know that they put their name in the book wrong. They didn't spell the name right. They're not going to say anything, say, by the way, you spelled that with a Z, not with an S. Oh, it should have an accent mark on it. No, you got my name backwards. They're not going to do it. So when they took these children, unfortunately, they had this system that was not prepared, that was not at that level with people who were trained to know the language, to know the different name structure, and they're talking more and more, and this is not a proud statement, but last year I called this. Last year, before anyone else came, I talked about the fact that these children, and some of them would never be reunited again simply because we were not prepared for separating them. We did not have a process in place. And some of these children, 
will never, ever be able to get back with their parents because they're too young, had no documents, no knowledge, no way to communicate who they are and who they're with. It's not going to happen. That's the sad truth. Oh, that's such a sad truth. And when you think of the little child, the little child who's got absolutely everything in that attachment to that parent that they walked with, they came with, the hopes, the direction, the protection, all of that is in that one or two people if they came with two parents or their siblings. And then all of a sudden that one thing that they had whipped away. Not to mention all of the technical pieces that you're talking about. First of all, let, I'm glad you talked about that false assumption that people know what they're doing. You know, when, when there are systems in place that are administrative and only focused on foster children, there's a greater hope than when you have political aspirations and you're making news stories and you're doing things by Twitter and thinking it up in the middle of the night that these things are going to have any kind of logical system that is going to actually take care of the situation from the top to the bottom is not likely. And you're certainly drawing attention to that. But as you say, I mean, you have overwhelming number of people to process. You have language barriers. You have fear. You have all of those things. And then someone says, well, this is my name. And I've got a line as long as your as you're, eye can see of people waiting to, for me to put in this database and I don't know how to spell the names, and I don't ask, and they don't know how to tell me. What a nightmare. What a sad, sad scenario. So for these little children, I can see that the hope of being found is going to be that families go to find them, and then we're going to end up in a DNA situation, aren't we? Well, what's going to happen is this. This is a looming crisis that we have. These children... When they're able, they're going to be placed with someone, and now they're back into society here in the U.S., waiting for whatever uh, you know legal system that they have to go through. But more than likely, they're going to be placed with relatives who are not well-to-do, who are probably lower middle income or probably low income families. And unfortunately, those are the ones who have that the Child Protective Services seems to go forward, they are attracted to the poor, because the poor have the issues that bring up child protective services. They may have to leave their children alone for three, four, five hours. Um, I was just reading a report, unfortunately, that children that are left by themselves, 40% of the accidents that happen are when a child is left by themselves. So, you know, that's, that's a red flag for these agencies. Uh, the noise that children make. They may be wandering around on the street because they're hungry. These are all stories that have hit the news of a child who was down the street going through the garbage can because his mom had been gone to work and she'd been gone for eight hours and he had no food. So he started foraging around the neighborhood. This is how these kids get picked up. And then they get placed in a foster care system. And then once in a foster care system, it's our job to jump into action, find their relatives. But now we have no information that we can get from this child. And to put this into perspective, this happens in foster care. We have children who are abandoned in shopping centers, left on the side of the road, left outside a building. There are many children in this country who get abandoned, and they have no idea who their parents were, how to find them, 
And those are the ones who spend five, 10, 15, 18 years in the foster care system. And so these children, when they are coming from the border, placed with a family, they have a likelihood, not all of them, of course, but there is a likelihood. Some of these children, of the thousands and thousands, are going to end up in our foster care system where we are not equipped in foster care to handle these homeless and these destitute children. And so it's just, it's going to be a crisis that's going to be coming because we've got so many kids coming in. It's going to hit in the next 12 to 24 months, and it's going to be bad. Well, let's go back to something you said just a minute ago, that there are approximately, give or take, 400,000 children in foster care in this country. 400,000 children. That's 400,000 children that for some reason, whether it is the situation with the immigrant children or it is children who have just been abandoned by parents who couldn't care for them or wouldn't care for them, whatever has happened, those children have already experienced abandonment. They have already experienced change that they should not have to have gone through. And so this has changed them. And then, you know, we have a foster system. Yes, I mean, I don't think we need to talk about the fact that the foster system is overloaded. Well, 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 well overloaded. It's always been overloaded, it seems. But what can we do, Richard? What can we possibly do? How can we... How can we bring about change? How can we make a foster child's life better, even if we can't take them home with us? There are actually a lot of ways that people can engage with foster children. Uh, one is you know, to participate with a nonprofit that is doing that work. There are nonprofits that are helping children as they're getting out of foster care to do the paperwork so they can go to college. They're helping them you know, get the money together, get the loans together, find those free programs. There are programs out there that will help foster kids. There are states who are now waiving their tuition to go to college. Oh, great. But, no, which is wonderful. Yeah. Of course, they still have to pay for the books, which are hundreds of dollars. They still they, need to eat and they have still a place have, to sleep. Exactly, a place to study. So there's still more work to be done, but there are organizations out there right now. Someone does not need to start another charity. And I say that because a lot of people say, you know, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. One of the best tips I could give to people, if there's a well-established organization now, join them, work with them. You'll get the benefit. You'll be helping the children, but you won't be spending your time trying to do all the admin work because trust me, it's a lot that detracts from the time that you could be devoting to helping a child. Absolutely. And I think that that's a point we really want to emphasize. You know, if we want to help, somebody else has already done the legwork. They've already made the mistakes. They've already, as you say, done the paperwork and got the certifications. They're up and running. Help them. Help them. Put your energy there. It's so important. I, I have a charity in Canada, so I, I really understand this. Although I live in San Diego, I have dual citizenship, and I've had that charity for a very long time. And it's so important for people to get exactly what you're saying. When something's established, and yes, of course, we've heard the horror stories of nonprofits that, you know, the people are making more money than the recipients that, that were the money for whom it was intended or receiving. We've all heard those horror stories and checked the reports and done all of that. But do your due diligence and then jump in. 
Um, what kind of place should you go? Where do you go to find a place to help foster children? The county is, is the best place to go to find out about foster children in general in your area. The county usually is the one that's controlling uh, and overseeing the program. Uh, there are opportunities for people to be uh, like an emergency um, contact uh, for those cases where children come in at two o'clock in the morning and they just need them to have a bed. And there are people who have volunteered that will take these children in at a moment's notice. I mean, these are incredible people who are ready and willing to do this. Do you have those who are foster parents? And then you have those who are foster parents or people who want to adopt the child because keep in mind, there's a hundred thousand children every year who they cannot go back to their parents because of either criminal activity or abuse, or they don't know who the parents are. 100,000 Veronicas who are just sitting there waiting for someone to step up and say, you know what, I like this child. I'll give this child a home. And so that's a huge way that people can help. But let me talk about a couple of the easy ways. Um, Facebook. There are groups on Facebook who you know, are oriented towards foster children. You can go on there, find out information. I'm very uh, honored and pleased that people have come to our Facebook page and told us, wow, I have learned so much from your posts. I was moved to be a foster parent. That is the most amazing thing that I can hear is that our effort motivated someone to be a foster parent. And we actually have had one or two who adopted and, and mentioned that it was because of the information they got. So it's out there. You need to take a little bit of time, but you can learn about foster children. You Again, as you just said, you can volunteer with an organization. There are organizations that help the teens. There are organizations who help the foster kids. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, that as long as they're under the state uh, agency in the county, you know, it's not like you can just pick them up and take them to a movie or something. Sadly, they've got there's so much liability that right. you know that's uh unfortunately they have to protect themselves you know we can all understand that if something went wrong everyone's gonna be pointing a finger at you know at the county and wondering what they you know how they let this happen and so they kind of defer to the lowest common denominator which is kids aren't able to get out like that but there are these ways to help and they can help also with in kind so if there are businesses out there they can, you know, uh, help nonprofits with printing, marketing, website design, all admin. All of these are areas. Accounting. Trust me, there's not a nonprofit out there who would love to have an accountant volunteer to help them do their, their accounting. Yes. Well, wow. Lots of things. But let's go back. Richard mentioned his Facebook page. You want to go there. The page is called Finding Family MX. Finding Family MX. Go there. Learn about Richard's work in particular. Participate. Get into the conversations. Join a thread. Post. Ask your questions. The more that we're concerned, the more that we're learning, the more that we can find ways to help or direct resources or direct people who can help or engage with others. And, you know, my concern is for the emotional well-being of these children, as I mentioned earlier, and <clears throat> finding ways to help in that regard to be able to um, 
enter into some connectivity with an organization where we can provide some maybe seminars, webinars, group services for for the children, particularly teens, to actually learn that what happened to them is not their fault. I mean, the underlying peace that children feel, particularly children under seven, before they get the parietal and prefrontal lobe development in their brains, their underlying peace is, it's my fault. I made everything happen. And so it's important for us to understand that brain development equals emotional development in many cases. And we need to bring things to these children as they grow to have them recognize that it is not something that they did. They are not defective. They were not throwaway children. It may have looked like that. It may have felt like that. But it's not something that's wrong with them that caused it. And so very, very important. Oh, there's so much to talk about, Richard. <laughs> so, so very much. But but with this number of immigrant children and the existing caseload, are we in danger of having our foster system kind of crippled? Yes, absolutely. We are going to reach a point because in addition to the, the children coming in, there are many more children coming in because of an opioid addiction problem. You know, and this is something that got created by doctors over prescribing this medication, people taking it. And because of its, the nature of the drug, it was highly addictive. And so moms, dads, teachers, police officers, you know, people from all walks of life who had good jobs, you know, good families. These were people who got kind of pulled into this by their doctors who may, you know, hopefully unknowingly knew about this addictive side effect who are now hooked on this. And they say that, you know, the opioids that they were receiving were much more addictive than heroin. So you had people who unfortunately were getting this kind of medication and, now they're hooked, and so many parents now, because of this, it causes people to be extremely um, self-focused. All they can think about is that next fix, so they're neglecting their kids to a terrible degree. They're becoming abusive, and so children are being taken away in droves from these parents and going into the foster care system, and there are some counties and states who have you know, mentioned that they have increased by 15 to 25% of the children because of this one reason. Now add to that what's happening, going to happen with the immigrant children coming in. And yes, we are going to be facing a crisis. And I'd like to touch on one other thing you mentioned before. I don't want to let that thought go. It's about the trauma. You know, one former foster child wrote that it was like being in prison. Others have related this to being kidnapped. Child specialists have mentioned that that's the kind of level of trauma that these kids feel. Because picture this, they're in their room, they're at the dinner table, having dinner, talking to mom, she's at the stove, dad's at the table, they're with their kid brother. Five guys come in in uniforms, they break the door down. The next thing, mom and dad are screaming, maybe dad gets thrown to the floor, He's yelling and screaming. Mom is screaming. Two big people come by, pick these children up, take them away. And the last thing they know is they see their parents on the floor or being handcuffed or, you know, having to be restrained, which looks to them like they're being attacked. And they're being taken away, put in a car and driven off. No toys, no clothes, no anything. 
That is trauma, and that is what happens to many children who get picked up at the house. That's what they're going through. So we have these traumatized children who are now in the system, and sadly, we're just not doing a really great job of caring for their needs. So there's just so much going on with foster care. Do you know, I think everybody listening, because I I do, and maybe you do too, we all need to take a big breath <laughs> because this is just like, whoa, this is so big. It's so painful. It's, it's a wound, actually, that's happening to these children that is going to be so hard to heal, so hard to heal. And, you know, that compounds the problem. And I know, you know, certainly I'm sure you have things to say about this, Richard, but when a foster child has been so wounded and then some loving person wants to help them and then the child has been so frightened by the idea of help and so uncertain as to whether people are helpful um, that they start to uh, pull away from it or they act defiantly or they're oppositional or they're afraid of it because they're so afraid of being hurt again or taken or something happening. So the degree of persistence and patience and nurturing and everything is so much larger than it is in the usual case, you know, of, of some child who's maybe their parent got very, very ill and they watched it and they know what's happening and mommy had to go to the hospital and now daddy can't cope and they, there's been conversations about it and they've been prepared. Not that you can ever be prepared emotionally, but they've been prepared logically. This is not the case here. Like what you were just describing, that absolutely frightening situation of somebody breaking in and breaking the the family apart and them becoming physical and being brusque and all that energy of of power and force um and then there you are in a vacuum in the back of a car and you're eight years old i mean it is so traumatic and you know it hurts our hearts i hope it hurts our hearts i really hope that we realize that this is a human to human situation and right now it's a little inhumane. And I'm glad you said that because we're coming up on a time of the year when people are thinking of holiday, they're thinking of you know other people. That's you know our hope here. And certainly a season for compassion. And maybe we've seen a lot less compassion from people. I've actually been surprised at the lack of compassion and that the attitude towards children, especially has been almost as if they were a thing, that they were not oh, people, yeah. that they did not have emotions, that they did not feel, or they did not deserve to feel or to have our, our sympathy and our compassion. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that's happening or the way it's handled, but we can certainly control how we respond to it, and mm -hmm. we can respond with compassion, and we can step up and recognize and spread the word that there are these children in foster care, that there are these kids, both immigrant and, you know, children who are born here in the U.S. It's a mix. And that these are children. That's it, pure and simple. They are children who are completely innocent, who feel guilty, who feel that they are the cause for some reason, that they're the reason mommy and daddy were being beaten up 
that that's the reason that they've lost their home and they don't have their dog and they don't have their favorite teddy bear, that they did something. Exactly. And, and that's the way I was saying earlier, Richard, about the different levels of brain development. You know, they have that feeling. The younger they are, the more likely they are to have the feeling that it was their fault somehow, that they weren't good enough. And for children, aside from the immigrant situation, for for children, domestic children who are taken into these situations, they they feel as though they weren't good enough to be kept. There was something defective about them. Nobody wanted them. It's a deep ache. And even if they can logically say, you know, mom and dad had drug problems or we ran into deep financial difficulties or, you know, one parent left and the other parent couldn't cope, even if we know the story, even if we are... Yeah, I've been working with kids for a long time. I used to be the principal of a school for at-risk teenagers, so I know their stories. And even when they can say logically, no, I know why it happened, it doesn't begin to address how it felt that it happened and how it continues to feel within them about whether or not they are worthwhile to take up space and draw breath. And we all are. And that in itself is so important. And, you know, here I am. I'm going to have to take another deep breath because I'm getting all passionate about this. But if you're feeling what I'm feeling right now, and maybe you don't have the time or or the inclination or feel that you could be particularly helpful interacting with these children, know that you can support this work. Go to foster kid, uh, foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. Foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. There's a big donate button there. Do that. Do that regularly so that that at least you can say, I want to do my part. I want to help. I feel the hurt and I want to help heal the hurt. And if every one of us did that, maybe we can't do much, but we can do that. And that can help a lot. Right, Richard? Absolutely. And there have been you know, people out there, celebrities even, who have said, listen, if everyone who watched this, who heard this show, gave just $5, we could fund ourselves for the year. There are some cases we could probably fund our work for the next two years. And I would like to share our big push goal for this year is to get 50 foster children between today and the end of the year with a relative back with family members. So that is our big push goal to get 50 of these children back for the holidays. And if I could add one more thing, one of the ways, easiest ways people can help is just as they are as people. What do I mean by that? If you're a parent, watching your kids, making sure your kids aren't making fun of someone, making sure that they're not bullying another kid, because a lot of foster kids get bullied. Some get driven to suicide because of the bullying. That starts with the parent. The parent keeping an eye on their kids, teaching their kids some compassion. It also goes to the teachers having more compassion. The administrators at school, because they're interacting with children all the time. And sometimes that gets missed. And so a lot of this fear, the shame, the pain that foster children suffer happens at school and we're still in the school year. And those are things that, you know, 
unfortunately, some parents will single out the foster child and not include them. Well, be the other parent. Be the one who says, you know what? Everyone's included. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you don't have a mommy and daddy. Because trust me, unfortunately, there are kids out there who will do just that. Oh, Tom, well, it's too bad your mom doesn't love you because you don't have, oh, you don't have a mom. Kids can be cruel. But, you know, parents can be helpful in this with their own kids and teach that compassion. So this is a time of year. Step it up. And if you're doing a fabulous job, just keep doing it. If you're one of those or if you're one of the thousands and thousands of giving, caring foster parents and adoptive parents and caseworkers and teachers, keep it up. And spread the word and let other people know and talk about it. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, not only is there nothing wrong with it, but it's a really good thing to do. And, you know, even if you don't have children, you know, sometimes I just watch and there'll be a teenager sitting down looking for money on the side of the road or looking dejected or whatever. You can sit down and have a chat with one of those kids you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? What got you here? You know, what kind of help are you getting? You can engage them. You can see them. You know, they become invisible. People avert their eyes. They don't look at them. They don't smile at them. They don't engage with them. That could be a kid that got aged out of foster care, left homeless on the side of the road uh, with a, as you say, a garbage bag full of their belongings, which would be meager and very little to support themselves, nowhere to go, no facility, no resources, maybe a list of places. And it is so difficult. You know, here in San Diego, I've been very mildly involved with the whole issue of uh, human sexual trafficking. Exactly what you were saying. If I don't eat for a long, long time and somebody says to me, I will give you food and I will be your friend and I will take care of you and give you a place to stay, it sounds awfully good to someone who hasn't eaten or has been sleeping in the cold for a long time. These are manipulative people. These are people who are going to pretend that they're going to be your friend. They're going to be a pseudo-parent to you. And then all of a sudden they're asking you for favors to do sexual things for other people. And then pretty soon you are being in the human trafficking world. These are real things, folks. Real, real things. And I'm so glad, Richard, that you're doing the work that you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for being my guest today. Well, you're so very welcome. And I certainly appreciate the questions, the commentary to bring a more humane look to these children and to recognize that they are children. They're not hidden. They are children who desperately need us to reach a hand out to them, to help them, to protect them. And if possible, to love them. And if you can't, partner with someone, partner with an organization who's already doing that good work. You can be part of the solution in many, many ways. And hopefully I've given a couple of ideas here that will you know, prompt you to take action. And if you feel moved, take action right now. Don't wait. Take it right now because there are 400,000 Veronicas who do not want to spend one more day in foster care. And you can be the solution. Yes, that's so good. And remember to go to foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. You can donate there. You can learn there. You can recognize the 
the breadth of the problem, you can educate yourself. You can become motivated and inspired to help in whichever way you can. So as you know, our show is called Transforming Relationship with Emotional Savvy. So what would be one other thing that you would add for our listeners so that they could live in the world with a little more emotional savvy, Richard? Just be aware of of the children and the feelings that you have and that people around you have about these children. Because when you are in touch with your emotions, you'll understand that part of that has to include compassion and love. And that's the place that we need to be coming from here. We can leave it to others to try to figure out the logistics and politics of the situation. But once these children are in our society, is up to us, especially as adults, to care for these children and to have that emotional strength that they are lacking at this point and to give it to them. And that's something that we can all do. Great. Thank you so much. My guest today has been Richard Viasana, and he is the amazing founder of Forever Homes for Foster Kids.org. And I think I've said that enough times. I'm sure you've written it down. If you haven't, it's in the show notes. And let's us open our hearts. Let's open our eyes to seeing these children who didn't ask for this. They didn't, they didn't do anything. This is mostly the result of the situations that occurred for adults. And many times children come into foster care because parents couldn't cope but sometimes they come into foster care because the parents think it will even be better than what they could provide for them but we have the opportunity of doing what we can and let's all do that thanks for joining me here on transforming relationship with emotional savvy listen to other episodes there are so many And that will help you understand with all these amazing guests that I have, all the different pieces that allow us to open our hearts, to be wise about relationships, and to behave with emotional savvy. Take care and talk soon. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.